So as I was talking to this guy today, he works at a local store, a large store that starts with a W and ends with Mart. And so it's big store. And we were talking about just how people appear right now in our culture. Because I made a comment. I said, well, where do you work? And he goes, I work at Walmart. And I was like, oh, wow, I bet you see a lot of life during the day. He goes, it's unbelievable how people walk in. I said, well, I know it's believable because I watch it when I'm there. And if you're at all sensitive at all or if you have any kind of a prophetic edge or you're sensitive to where people, it just, it can almost be heavy going there because it seems like everybody who walks in is broken. Everybody is depressed. Everybody seems overwhelmed. And occasionally somebody will walk in with a smile on your face and the first thought is, is what's wrong with them? You know, why are they happy you know, they don't deserve that. I mean, it's just, it's weird how we think when one person has a good day, it whacks everybody else out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so, because it must be something wrong. It must be on something. And uh, so we were talking about that, and he said he sees that day and night. He works the night shift, so you can imagine some interesting folk that come to Walmart at 2 in the morning. Uh, never been at 2 in the morning. I can only imagine. So the they only come out at night, folks. So... As we were talking about it, and he was talking and describing people, how they come in depressed, overwhelmed, obviously broken, just stressed. He even, he even said demonized. I mean, just like people just carrying stuff. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, gosh, it kind of looks like church sometimes. It kind of looks like what I see. And when I say church, I don't mean just GPC. I mean the church. I'm talking very broad terms here. Not our church. So I thought I got to thinking, gosh, broken, overwhelmed, stressed, depressed, oppressed. And I thought, wow, I've seen a few folk like that lately. So I just got to, th- it just really spun my mind off thinking, what would it look like to live up in a down world? And does the Bible talk about that at all? Or is everything about being broken? Is everything about being spilled out, crushed, devastated, attacked? Or are there some, or maybe there's some promises in this book that speak to life. And so I want to just share something. Maybe this might just be a reminder for somebody tonight. So I I, I begin to think about this, and and I realize when Jesus came on the scene in Israel, he came on the scene, he comes up out of the water after being baptized by John, the baptizer. He wasn't a Baptist, by the way. I remember when I was a Southern Baptist, I thought, hey, John's one of us. John the Baptist. John the first Baptist. (laughs) That's where we got the name. Okay, no, I'm, I'm kidding. He was John the baptizer. I mean, that's what he did. He, he came baptizing. And he came and, and he baptized Jesus. And, of course, Jesus comes up out of the water and he sees the Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. And the Lord speaks in that context and says, This is my son, my, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And literally, it's, it's a crowning moment. It's like the inauguration of a, of a ministry. And Jesus begins his public ministry at that point. We don't have a lot of detail about what Jesus did before that time, but I can only imagine some of the amazing things that happened on the playground. You know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, you can imagine some of the crazy stuff that had to happen playing stickball in the streets of Israel. I mean, no, I mean, seriously, he's like stud superstar athlete of the year probably when he was in junior high. But I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. But I can imagine it had to be different. But when he started his public ministry, it was very low-key at first. He simply comes out of the water, and John's like, man, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes. I'm not worthy to do anything. Well, right before he got baptized, John goes, look, look. And Jesus said, look, you've got to do this. This is what the Scripture says. We're going to follow follow it by the book. Well, Jesus begins his ministry, and he comes on the scene in Israel, and he comes preaching what we now call the gospel. And the gospel is simply another word that means good news. Jesus came bringing good news. When we sing these songs, and I, I see the words, nothing's impossible, I'm going, that is so true. That's good news. When Jesus says, when the Bible even says in the Old Testament, it says, lift up the hands that hang down. That's good news. When the Scripture says in the New Testament, I would that men everywhere pray with hands lifted up, you know, no wrath, no doubting. That's good news. When Jesus says that you can literally exchange an old, broken life for a new life, and that if anyone's in him, they're a new creation, which Paul talked about, old things are... It will pass away. Behold, everything has become new. Listen, when you got up this morning, everything was new. Let me say that again. When you got up this morning, you had a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning. All things are become new. Why? Because you're in him. If anyone is in him, that's what you get. You get a new life exchanged every day. It's almost like Rachel had these two geckos that we caught, and we named them Gecky and Gecolophagus. She named them. I'm just good to remember the names. And there were those little baby geckos, you know, that are everywhere and in, in, in the house. And so, so I caught two of them because she had talked about wanting geckos. Well, you know, these are like little wild geckos. And so I don't know if you know this about geckos, but they shed their skin like a snake sheds its skin. So, so they would exchange their old skin, and then they'd have this bright, new, shiny skin. They both died, by the way. They, they weren't made to keep in a cage. We didn't know what to feed them, so M&Ms didn't cut it. No, I'm just kidding. I actually bought some little gecko food at PetSmart. They have that, so I learned a lot. But anyway... They didn't make it, so we did a little burial at sea in the toilet. You know what I mean? A little moment there. There. No more. So that was our moment with geckos. But I did know they would shed their skin on a regular basis. And it just reminds me that every time you go to bed at night, it's like literally, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep, you know, the terrorizing scary prayer, you know. If I die before I wake. You know, morbid. But anyway, um, it, 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 you're exchanging something. You're turning in. It's literally like shedding your skin from the day. I don't know about you, but when I go throughout my day and I have stuff happen, it's like stuff gets on me, and it's like at night you go to bed and you're turning in. You're exchanging, and during that time of sleep, you're exchanging your old life for a new life. You wake up in the morning, all things are become new. His mercies are new. Every what? Say it. Morning. And so every day when we get up, it's a fresh start, and you can actually wake up with a smile. That doesn't mean your circumstances have changed, but you know what? You wake up with a clean slate. You get a new chance. You get a new beginning. You ought to wake up and go, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Lord. 
Now, I'm a morning person, so it's easy for me. Not everybody is. Some people have to have their cup of coffee first. So we have an understanding at our house. So no one talks until someone's had their coffee, amen, and it's not me or Rachel, so, or Sparky. But, uh, but we just, we just, it's an understanding, and, and it's, a, it's a running, we laugh about it, actually. But when Jesus came on the scene in Israel preaching the gospel, the good news, I want you to know something tonight. That gospel and good news wasn't just, listen, the gospel of the kingdom is not just salvation. It's not just getting born again. Now, that is good news. When I was 18 years of age, 31 years ago, and I gave my heart to Jesus, it was good news to this rough kid. Really good news. And it changed my life forever, for eternity. So that was good news. But you know what I found out over the course of time when somebody began to disciple me and I began to get around people who were in love with Jesus after being saved? Now, there's not a lot of them, but there's some out there, trust me, that are actually excited about being born again. Talked to a guy last week. I popped into Dillard's. And uh, we ended up having a conversation. He's in his 50s. He got born, radically born again when he was 34 years of, of age in a jail cell. And a preacher showed up to preach the gospel to him. And he said before he could reach through the bars and grab the guy by the head and bring his face into the bars, God stopped him. As he's telling me, I'm kind of backing up going, how redeemed are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you would have done. He was, he was a bad hombre, but... But he said that before he could grab that guy, the Holy Spirit gripped his heart. And he said he realized in that moment that everything he had heard growing up about Jesus and everything about church that he had just learned to hate and been trained to hate, everything flipped in that moment. And he's standing there in Dillard's with tears in his eyes telling me his, his testimony and, and saying how God has changed everything. And he said... But he made a mistake. I said, what was your mistake? He said, well, when I got out, I went to church thinking everybody was going to be as excited about Jesus as I was. So I'll pop into this church in my little hometown. Everybody knows who I am. Everybody knew I was a bad, messed up guy. He's a big guy, big tall guy, real athletic. And he said, he went into church and he's looking around going, what's wrong with everybody? Don't they know what they have? And I said, man, I said, Jeff, what did you learn out of that? And he goes, goes, I learned. He said, it's not correct, but what it was telling me was that the older you get in Jesus, the less excited you get about Jesus. Eventually became a pastor, planted a church, and I mean, the rest is history, and life goes on. But I thought, how tragic, because it reminded me of when I got born again as a brand-new Christian who had never gone to church. Church was a foreign world. And when I stepped into church expecting people to be really excited about this gospel thing, this good news, I really thought people would be happy and excited. And you know what I found? I found the Walmart crowd. It wasn't a Walmart back then. But I found that same crowd broken. Now, now let me say something before I go too far into this, because on any given day that we're together, there's a lot of brokenness in here. And I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to make you feel like, well, gosh, can I not have a bad day? You can have a bad day, but if you've had a bad year or you've had a bad decade, there's a problem. 
something is not making a connection. You know, you're, you're, you're flipping the switch on the power window, but the window's not moving. Something, there's a disconnect somewhere. So that's not to say that you can't come in here and have had a bad day, a bad week, a bad month. Stuff's not going well, and you're having to shoulder some of that. I'm not saying that at all. So don't hear what I'm not saying. There is grace. Amen? His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. We know that. We understand that. However, flip the, flip the coin. There should be a joy that marks us that is, the Bible says, inexpressible. There ought to be something about the nature of God that flows in us. The nature of God that when, when, when the season begins to change, we'll go through winter, maybe. We'll go through winter this year. I'm wondering at this point. But, but we're going to go through a winter, and then we're going to move into a spring season. And after the, uh, some dead time, and after it seems like there's nothing happening, we're going to start to see some life burst forth, and we'll start to see green begin to come out, and life will begin to happen. And that is the nature of God. When I see that, I see God. I see new growth, a new life. And I'm all about new beginnings. And so if you're having a bad season, a bad, listen, don't feel bad. I'm not beating up on you. I'm just saying if it's been a bad decade, then there's a disconnect. Bad day happens. Amen? Bad decade, mm, something's, not, something's not firing. We're not firing on all eight cylinders here. Jesus came on the scene preaching the good news, and he spoke of a different kind of life. And that's what I want to talk about, a different kind of life than the people were currently living. And he spoke of peace. He spoke of power. He spoke of joy. He spoke of faith. And as, as I read the Bible, I see that Jesus came bringing promises, not wishes. Let me say that again. Jesus came with promises, not wishes. If he just came on the scene wishing things were going to get better, wishing that you could have a new life, wishing that in the morning that joy was going to come, wishing that, that things were going to work out, wishing that you could do all things through him, wishing that as he's the vine, we're the branches, and we're connected in him, and that apart from him we can do nothing, but in him we can do anything. If he just came wishing all of that, then, then this would, it, we would have a good excuse to be de- depressed, broke, bummed, whipped, we'd be just like everybody else. But we're not like everybody else. And some of us need to re-tap into the veins of gold that are in our life and that are there. And you may have to dig down, but it's time to re-tap into that joy that is there. And it is there. But you may have to dig because nothing comes easy, does it? John 10.10, 10. let's go there. I want to read this to you. Out of the NIV, it says this. And Jesus has been talking about, I mean, really comparing us. We, we think it's real romantic when Jesus calls us sheep. But if anybody's ever been around sheep, it's not real flattering, folks. Pictures of sheep look amazing. If you've ever been around real sheep, it, it'll burst your bubble real quick. I remember I had this thing where I wanted a lamb when I was in college because I thought they were cute. So I go out to a sheep farm, and a guy in our church had a big old sheep farm. And we get out there, and I, I learned very quickly, and he begins to educate me on sheep. And the first thing he says is that sheep are like the dumbest animals besides turkeys on a farm. 
I said, what? But they're so pretty. I, but they weren't pretty. They, these were dirty. They stunk. And there was a bunch of pregnant sheep running around. I'll get a little graphic for a moment. And and they didn't even stop to like, you know, if you ever read Psalm 23 and you see some of the nice pictures in the older Bibles, you know, sheep, you know, laying there on her side. Listen, this is how they gave birth. While they were running from one end of a chute to another, they were dropping babies out of them. They were dropping lambs and dragging them by the umbilical cord. It was horrible and gross. And, I mean, the mama sheep, the ewes, did not even stop. I mean, they could care less about their babies that fell out of them. They just kept going. And I started getting a clue about sheep. And then now when I read passages like this, I don't go, oh, this is so sweet. I'm going, man, we are like the dumbest creatures on the planet, and Jesus is totally slamming on us here. But it just sounds really not the shepherd and his flock. Isn't that sweet? But I got a very different picture of sheep. After being a pastor for 27 years, I also have a very different picture of sheep, but I'm not going to go into that. We'll just, we'll just go through the Scripture. Here, all right, verse 10. You ready? It says this, the thief. Now, talking about the sheep, we know there's wolves because where there's sheep, there's predators. Because sheep are absolutely defenseless. I mean really defenseless. Sheep are so stupid that they will actually accidentally fall down into a bar ditch and they don't know how to get out. I mean, just a bar ditch. I mean, I'm not even talking about a hole. I'm talking about just a ditch. And because they, they, they'll get confused and disoriented, they'll, they'll stay in that ditch, and even though they're hungry and thirsty, they don't have the presence of mind, the intellect, to actually get out of the ditch to go where there's food, shade, nourishment, and protection. I don't know what that says about us getting stuck in a ditch sometimes. But I know that sheep will die in a ditch when the food's 30 yards and the water's 30 yards outside the ditch. It's just right there. And it says this, that there is a thief. Someone say predator. Do you know there are predators out there? And we know there are predators in, in, in culture and in society, but in the Bible talks a lot of types and shadows, and you go through the Old Testament, and you see them talking about the birds of the air. You talk about the parables of Jesus, which is the birds come in and swoop and take the seed. And no doubt that when as we walk out of this place tonight, somebody will within seconds forget what was spoken because the birds will come in, demonic forces and hosts, and literally take the seed. Jesus said the birds would come in, and they would literally steal the seed of the word before it could get implanted in your spirit. And you'll walk out, and we were, t- we were talking earlier about dreams and how sometimes you'll wake up, and the dream is real vivid in the moment, and 30 minutes later, or by, by new, it's gone. And you're thinking, I should have remembered. It was so vivid in the moment, and yet within just a short amount of time, it's gone, poof, like a vapor. Well, in the same way, sometimes the word gets preached and and those birds swoop in because there are predators. Someone say predators. There are predators that that are after you, and we're going to look here in a minute. We'll see that there's actually a strategy against you. And they'll come in and they'll take the seed. And you'll go, wow, what, 
well, I know it was a good word, but I forgot what we even talked about. Uh, I know it was good. And, and I'm going to say something, and this isn't a cut. This is an encouragement and an exhortation. If we are going to say that we are disciples of Jesus. Now, when I was in school, now I don't know if things have changed. In fact, it changed a lot while I was in school. Because when I was young and in school, we had what was called a spiral notebook. Can you remember those? We had spiral notebooks, and we had a writing instrument called a pen. Do you know, you know what those are? Oh, somebody's got one. Very good. They're still in existence. But, but we were expected to take notes in class because we might need to get that information. We might need to access that for something called a test. You may know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, as I got older and got through school and got through college, then then we, we ended up getting getting word processors. And this was before laptop computers, but Brother and some of those brands came out with little word processors, and I had one. It kind of looked like a laptop, but all it did was type. I mean, and it was basically a glorified typewriter with a little tiny screen on it, but it was enough that I could take it to class and take notes on, and, man, I was styling with the Brother word processor, Okay. But then by the time I got through, as I was in seminary and grad school, everybody had laptop computers, and everybody was taking notes. And every, all of a sudden, things begin to change. But, but I will say this, whether it was on a laptop computer or whether it was on a spiral notebook, when we were in class, we took notes because we were students. We were pupils, and there might be a test. Now, I want to say this to you about church. Some of you have been Christians long enough that you don't think you need to take notes anymore because you think you already kind of know some of this stuff. And so I want to tell you something. That's a real dangerous place to be, so I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to get a journal or get a book. I know this sounds real elementary, but sometimes we all need to be reminded. Can I get an amen or an oh my or I'm mad at you, pastor? So I've got a, I've just got a journal. I still use this. Now I've got a I've got a laptop and I've got a I've got a thing. What are these called? iPad. I've got one of these. You know, it's handy. But still there's something about taking this out and actually writing in it and taking notes and writing down thoughts so that I can go back and go, Wow, that was profound. And sometimes when I'm listening to a message it might just be one word. It might just be a sentence. But you know what? One word from God can change your life forever, can change the course of your life, and it can define your destiny in a moment. Can I get an amen? So I want to encourage you. I'm not spanking you. I'm just encouraging you heavily to start taking notes again if you haven't been. Amen? Glory. All right. Moving right along. The thief, the thief, the predator comes only to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. It's pretty serious. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal your joy. He comes to kill your witness. He comes to destroy any impact or effectiveness that you have for the kingdom. He comes to do those things. But it says this, Jesus speaking says, I have come that they may have life, and I like the NIV, have it to the full, full you ever heard, man, that guy is full of life. She is full. Of, they walk in a room, they just light up a room because they are full of life. Because what you're full of, you leak out. And when you are full of life, you cannot help but leak out. 
You ever see people like that come into a place, you're standing in line at a store, and somebody's full of life, and they just want to talk? Are you sitting on an airplane, they just, you sit by the one full of life? That ever happened to you? You, uh, you just wanted to read a book or whatever, but no, they're full of life. They want to talk. You know what? There's something that's effective about that. There's something that's powerful about people who are full of life because they just can't help themselves. And so they want to talk. They want to share because they're full, and what you're full of, you leak out. So there's a thief that comes. So I want to talk to you just for a few, just three short things about living life to the full because I think that some of us need to re-engage life again because some of us have opted for, and I heard a guy say this when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, some people have opted for existence, not living life. Let me tell you something. I don't want to live with any regrets. I don't, I want, to, I don't want to go to bed at night going, gosh, that was a wasted day. I want to go to bed tired because I've done something. Tired because I, I didn't just let every moment pass and every moment pass me by and I go, gosh, what, did I even do anything today? I want to know that I have somehow, in some way, in this life, moved the ball down the field. Whether it's had a conversation that was meaningful with somebody or, or talked to a Walmart clerk and called them by name, which is a great game to play. Just mess with people. Go, hey, Bill, how's it going? They're like, and then they realize, oh, 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 you saw my tag. I love doing that to people. It's just fun. And it starts a conversation. It breaks the ice. And then, then they want to talk. All you got to do is just have fun with people. But unless you got some life to give, you can't give what you don't have. Can I get an amen? So we've got to rekindle, stir up, when, know that when we go into Taco Bell to get our fresco crunchy tacos, to know that when we go in there, six grams of fat, by the way, when we go in there, we've got some life to give. We've got something, and, and that clerk that, that's standing there mad because they're making minimum wage and frustrated going, where's my life going? We go in there with some life to give them because we've got some life to give. And we walk out going, we have, and I love this term from John Maxwell, and, and it's something that just burns in me constantly. We have added value to them because we came into their orbit. Because Christ in us, the hope of glory is just leaking out all over the place. And wherever we go, we add value. We bring life. That's all that means. Add value means we bring life. And somebody's changed because we got in their orbit that day. Can I get an amen? The police officer that stops you to give you a ticket. I'm just kidding. It's just a random thought. We ought to be able to bring some life to him. Amen or her. Understand this. If you're writing this down, living life to the full, understand there is a thief. We know there's a predator and never underestimate him. Sometimes people talk bad about the devil. I don't want to pick a fight because he's had a long time to study us and figure us out. Truth be told, it's not Satan himself after you, but he's got a whole, lot of, a whole lot of minions under him that are assigned. Ephesians 6.10, look up on the screen. You don't have time to turn, but just Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, this is Paul speaking. He's charging the believers there in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Notice it says in the Lord because it's easy to try to be strong in ourselves and have that authority and that intensity, but he says be strong in the Lord. The only way you can be strong in the Lord is to be strong in the Word. Can I get an amen? 
So you, to be strong in the Lord, you've got to know the Word, abide in the Word, so that you can be strong in the Lord. Does that make sense? So to be strong in the Lord, you've got to be strong in the Word. There's a hint right there. He says, and in His mighty power. Notice it's His mighty power, not yours. Apart from Him, we can do what? Nothing, John 15 says. So it's not even about us. It's about His mighty power. It's about Him and us being in Him, and it's about us being in that Word. Now look at the next one. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, this is very critical, the devil's schemes. That word scheme, it means strategy. We have a strategist against us. Our strategy is to survive yet another day and just hope it's not 106 degrees tomorrow. And we we can bounce along through life with no strategy, no sense of destiny, no sense of purpose, and no sense of mission. If I was to point to you and say, what is your mission in life? Could you tell me? What is your purpose? Could you define it for me? Could you tell me in a heartbeat, in a second? Be careful if you shake your head, I may call on you. Everybody's real still right now. Could you? Yes. Let me tell you my purpose. Yes, let me tell you my destiny. Yes, let me tell you my vision. Yes, let me tell you my mission. In fact, come on. I want somebody to listen. I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. If you want to come ask me, come ask me afterwards. I'll I'll tell it. I'll share it with you. All right? So there's a strategist who has a mission, but do you have a mission? Do you have a strategy? Now look what it says. Keep going. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. It's not from the people driving like not good people on Danville. It, those are not your enemies. The guy on the motorcycle that you didn't hear coming who passes you at 100 miles an hour within inches of your rearview mirror on the side and scared you, if you know what I mean. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it scared the bejeebies out of you. That's not your enemy. It's not flesh and blood. It's against rulers. Look at this. Our struggle is against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Okay, everything just went up a notch or two thousand. So we're not talking about some co-worker who gossiped about you at the water cooler at work. We're talking about something very insidious, very malevolent, very demonic in nature, deeply spiritual powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you can't even tell me your mission. You're just trying to exist through a day, and yet this is what we're fighting against? No wonder we look like the Walmart crowd. You ever talk to somebody who works at Walmart? Hey, how's your day going? Oh, I hate this job. I've had people literally tell me, I hate this job. And I, I looked at one person. I said, if I was your boss, I would fire you right now. And they're like, oh, just kidding. I'm just messing around. I'm like, I wasn't. I hate this job. I, oh, get off in an hour. How long have you been here? 30 minutes. Oh, wow. That's a rough day. It's just amazing, just the mentality, and yet we're fighting against these things. Let me just say something in love. When you stepped over the line to follow Jesus, you were drafted into that war. Drafted. You didn't sign up for it. You were drafted. Some of us are old enough to understand draft. 
not me. It was before my time. But I know what it means. I had to sign the card. I just never got drafted. I was like, signing that card when I turned 18 at the post office, scared to death. But some people did get drafted, and they got drafted into a war that they did not want to fight, but yet because they existed, they were drafted. When you're born again, you were drafted into that war. That is what you're fighting against. You're not fighting against a boss who doesn't understand. You're not fighting against 106-degree weather that seems to be the biggest thing right now. You're not fighting against hurricanes on the East Coast. You're fighting against powers. You're fighting against spiritual forces of evil. It's just so hot. And all I'm trying to do is say we've got to have different perspective because there's a lot more at stake than we realize. Amen? I hope you don't feel spanked because I'm not trying to spank anybody. I'm just trying to open our eyes. Next verse. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. And now I love the next one. Stand, therefore. I mean, he's like, can't get over it. He's like, oh, well, by the way, while we're talking about standing, you need to stand. Verse, uh, John chapter 8, verse 44. Look at this one. This is the nature of the one whom you fight against every day. Look at the nature. He says, this is Jesus talking to some Pharisees. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. Now, Jesus, you know, he was, wasn't he just like gentle lamb? He's talking to a bunch of religious rulers it's like having a group of pastors, and Jesus walks in. Everybody goes, oh, Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi's here. What's he going to say? You belong to your father, the devil. Well, that would disrupt the meeting, would it not? He says, and you want to carry out your father's desire. This is Jesus addressing the ministerial alliance. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, his nature. It's his nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus told all those pastors, that's your daddy. Who's your daddy? That's your daddy. No, 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 no. Our daddy is Father Abraham. No, this is your dad. A murderer, a thief, John 10.10, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus didn't hold anything back. So I want you to understand that you're fighting a war against a thief who's a murderer and a liar, and he's very cunning. Can I get an amen? Second thing here, living life to the full, that's just to let you know what you're up against. Number two, Jesus came so we could have, as Pastor Rich said earlier, the God kind of life. The Greek word is zoe, and it literally means the God kind and God quality of life. This is a promise, not a wish. Jesus promised it. And Jesus is a promise keeper. Remember promise keepers? Jesus is the ultimate promise keeper. He's not a wisher. Oh, I hope this works out for all these people that are following my teachings. Jesus said, no. This is what's going to happen. If you do this, this will happen. If you don't, this will happen. If you disobey, this will happen. If you obey, this will happen. Jesus was very clear. And he said this, that there is a life. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Full life is our promise, not our wish, our promise. Not a hope, not a wish, not a it might happen. It is a promise 
from Jesus, the God kind of life, the God quality of life, life as God has it, this is out of vines, life as God has it, and that which has been given to the Son, Jesus. In other words, that life that's in Jesus is this Zoe life. Now, here's the beauty of it. Consequently, when we are in Christ, we are in that life. And so now, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. The last point here is we apprehend or lay hold of this abundant life by simply laying hold of Jesus. We always want a technique, don't we? Pastor, teach us a new trick. Give us a gimmick, Pastor. Give me three steps to the successful life. Give me, give me something that I've never seen. Give me the golden key. Well, the golden key is called abiding. It's called being in Christ. It says this, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That's our sins. And it is by grace you have been saved. Somebody ought to say amen for His grace. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. And God, love this verse, raised us up with Christ. We were dead, but because now we've accepted what he did for us on the cross, this is what happens. This is you, unless you're not a Christ follower here tonight, but this is you. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So where Christ is, we are, and this Zoe, this God kind and God quality of life, is in Christ. Therefore, if we are in Christ, we're swimming in this thing. It's ours, but we have to apprehend, all right? Let's keep going. It says this, we're raised up, seated in Christ in heavenly places in order that in the coming ages, look what he's going to do. He might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness, his grace, his riches, his kindness. It's expressed to us in Jesus. Why? Because that's where Zoe life is. This life that's full and overflowing. When Jesus said that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he said, if you're in me, you've got that life. It's yours. But you know what? You can have something and not know it. You can be sitting in a Jaguar XJ, but you don't have the keys. And you're, you're just sitting there going, man, ooh, this steering wheel feels amazing. Ooh, feel the quality of that leather. My goodness, look at the wood grain on that dash. Wow, I bet this car is amazing when it drives. And you're just sitting in it. And the keys are in your pocket. And you're just going, man, I just wish I, wish I could drive this car. It would be amazing. The keys are in your pocket. You already have it. Just take them out. V12. It's in Christ. Next verse. One of my favorites. I always say this, but. Every verse is one of my favorites. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, this life, not by works so that no one can boast. And look what it says. For we are God's workmanship created. Here we are in Christ again, in Christ Jesus, where Zoe is to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, if you can't state your mission when I confront you in the hall and go, what's your mission, what's your purpose? Just say, uh, to, to do good works. Oh, 
Good answer. All right. Let's define that. But, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There it is. There's a mission right there. And it says that we've even been prepared, prepared beforehand. Tonight, I just wanted to remind all of us that there is something so amazing on the inside of us because we're in Christ, and the Bible says he's in us. We abide in, he abides in us. And because of that, we have what John chapter 8. Do you have that verse, Randall? We'll end with this. John chapter 8, verse 32. Can you pull that up? This is what we have. Then you will know the truth. Can you do verse 31? Can you go back? Huh? Got verse 31? It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, another translation says, if you abide in my teaching, hold to, that means to live in, dwell in, abide in, if you hold to it, you really, you're really my disciples. Now look what he says. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? Go to verse 36. Can you just skip up? So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's what this life is about. It's about being free. It's about being free to laugh, free to smile, free to leak out some joy on somebody. Free to play the name tag game with the clerk. You should do that. Just get a good laugh. Say, hey, Sue, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, doing great. And they're like, how do I know them? I mean, just, it's just fun. But it breaks the ice, and then you can actually have a conversation. We call that engagement. You can engage them in a conversation just, in the, oh, they'll laugh. Ha, ha, you saw my tag. It's so much fun. Just do it. Try it. Leak out life. But let me just say something in love. We got to have life to leak out. We have it. We just got to access it. Take the keys. Put them in the ignition. Fire that XJ up. I'm telling you, it's there. It's there. It's there. And I want to encourage you because we have, listen to me, we have the answer. We have the answer to poverty. We have the answer to AIDS epidemic. We have the answer to hunger. We have the answer to depression. We have the answer to spiritual bondage. We have the answer to, to finances. We have the answer. We have the answer. We have it. We just have to apprehend it and then start giving it away. And just let that life, that Zoe leak out of you. You will impact everybody's orbit that you come into. So I want to challenge you tomorrow. We'll just give you a simple assignment. Play the name tag game with some people. Just mess with them. Somebody's got a big patch on his on his overalls that says Bill. Just mess with Bill. And sometimes it'll backfire on you when people at Taco Bell trade out their name tags. I've had that happen before. And they go, oh, what? I'm like, well, it says on your oh Oh, no, that's somebody else's name tag. Oh, okay, well, never mind. So occasionally that'll happen, but just... It still starts a conversation. So start some conversations. Let's all stand together. Say this with me. Say, in the name of Jesus, I have Zoe, the God kind, the God quality, life in me abundantly to the full 
overflowing. And in Jesus' name, I will leak out, but I will not freak out anybody. In Jesus' name, let's pray.